When you look at the Gospels, think about the fact that 15% of what Jesus taught on was money, possessions, as they relate to stewardship. So 15%, think about all of the different things that Jesus taught on, and we're saying that about 15%, that's quite a lot, was money and possessions and how we manage those things. That's a sobering thought in and of itself. And then think about the fact that when Jesus spoke of money and possessions, he put the stakes really high. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Stewardship in Light of the Gospel, a two-part series from Pastor Paul Twiss. The Bible text for this series is the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter four. Have you ever heard the saying in the Bible, where your heart is, there is your treasure? Well, the funny thing is that saying isn't in the Bible. It's actually the opposite. Wherever your treasure is, there is your heart also. Why is that? Well, do you ever follow how stocks are doing, whether they go up or down? Probably not, unless you have invested money in them. And that's why your heart follows your treasure. You've invested something in it. In today's message, Pastor Twist shows how Jesus understands how our heart follows where our money goes. Here's part one of Stewardship in the Light of the Gospel. It's my joy to be here and to have the privilege of preaching. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Our topic tonight is stewardship. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as we think about stewardship and how that relates to our spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians 4, and we'll just be looking at the first two verses of the chapter this evening. It reads, 1 Corinthians 4, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. If I was to say to you spiritual growth, I wonder what comes to mind. If I say to you spiritual growth, it may not be that the issue of stewardship is the first thing that comes to your mind. If I say spiritual growth, Perhaps the first thing that comes to your mind is the Bible. And that's a great thing. We thought about the Bible and how that relates to spiritual growth just a few weeks ago. And it is so important that we are people of this book in God's word every day, reading, meditating upon, learning the very words of God, understanding that in that process, there is a conforming to the likeness of his son. If I said to you spiritual growth, it may be that prayer comes to your mind, which is a great thing to think upon. And we did just a few weeks back, understanding that we are to be people of prayer, much prayer, always pursuing communion with God, understanding again that as we seek that communion with him, he is conforming us into the likeness of his son. There is spiritual growth in the discipline of prayer. If I say spiritual growth, maybe you think of service, 
which is great because it means you've realized that as you have been saved, you've been brought into the body of Christ, and there is a very big aspect of the Christian life in which you are called to deny yourself and serve the body. And in doing so, God is working out your sanctification. Maybe if I say spiritual growth, you think even of worship, that we are to worship God, and he, in that act of worship, grows us spiritually. But stewardship. What are we going to talk about tonight? I mean, it's like when you say, what do you do for a living? I'm an accountant. I mean, you just don't say the A word because it kills the conversation. Stewardship as part of this thing of spiritual growth. It doesn't naturally spring to mind. And yet, when we look at the Bible, when you look at the Gospels, Think about the fact that 15% of what Jesus taught on was money, possessions, as they relate to stewardship. So 15%, think about all of the different things that Jesus taught on, and we're saying that about 15%, that's quite a lot, was money and possessions and how we manage those things. That's a sobering thought in and of itself. And then think about the fact that when Jesus spoke of money and possessions, he put the stakes really high. So, for example, you remember the story, Jesus says there's a man and he has lots of stuff and he's doing really well for himself. Luke chapter 12, he rips down his barns and he builds some bigger barns so that he can store all of his stuff. He can put his feet up and say, I'm good. Eat, drink and be merry. Things are going well for me. Look at my barns. And God responds. Point number one, God has something to say about that. And he says, you fool. Where the world would applaud that kind of stewardship, through God's eyes, he says, you are a fool for doing that. And in Jesus' day, that word is not a small thing. That's a really harsh rebuke. And we could go on with many examples. The point is, the Bible has a lot to say about stewardship. It is a big deal. And if you want to talk about spiritual growth, and I hope that you do, then at some point, we have to talk about stewardship. At some point, we need to realize the biblical principle that faithful stewardship is part and parcel of our spiritual growth. Now, what are we talking about specifically? We're thinking about money and what we do with our money and how we manage it. And we're thinking about time, how we manage our time and steward our time that's been entrusted to us. We're thinking about stuff. We have so much stuff. What do we do with it? How are we managing those things? We're talking about relationships. You've maybe never thought of relationships in terms of stewardship. But it's a stewardship issue. God has entrusted you with particular relationships, and you're to manage that well. We're even talking about our thoughts. You've maybe never thought about your thoughts as a stewardship issue. You're responsible for how you manage what goes on up here, which thoughts you pursue and which ones you shut down, understanding that what you think bears fruit in every other area of your life. It's a stewardship issue. And we could spend all of this evening talking about those issues. We could develop a whole series on stewardship. But to do so, to start in any of those areas, is actually to miss the point. If we begin 
with money or time or relationships or stuff, we're missing the foundational point. The absolute foundation of biblical stewardship that our text teaches us tonight, which I want to communicate to you, is the foundation of biblical stewardship is your stewardship of the gospel, your stewardship of the gospel itself. And if you miss that, if you don't get that right and you're not stewarding the gospel, then you are not going to steward your money in a way that pleases God. I guarantee you that if you don't steward the gospel well, you are not going to manage your time in a way that honors the Lord. If you miss this and you don't steward the gospel well, then you're not going to steward your gifting well in a way that pleases God. It goes on and on and on. It starts with the foundation of the gospel. And what our text teaches and what I want you to understand, stewardship of the gospel is the foundation and it is the motivation for all biblical stewardship. If you're taking notes, write that down. Stewardship of the gospel is the foundation and the motivation for faithful biblical stewardship. Now we're going to pull that sentence apart and just examine what it means. Two parts. We've got two verses. I'll keep it really simple. First verse is the first point. It is that the stewardship of the gospel is the foundation. It is the foundation for all stewardship. And then we'll move to the second verse and we'll think about how that foundation, if you, if you lay it rightly and you steward the gospel well, what it does is it provides a framework. It provides a grid. It provides the motivation for you to make everyday practical stewardship decisions in your life. So let's begin with verse one then. Stewardship of the gospel as the foundation. Context is the letter to the Corinthians. We could think about this letter really as a whole letter about spiritual growth. Paul's writing to this church. There's a lot of people that have been saved that were not brought up within the ways of Judaism. So they had all kinds of lives. God got a hold of them, saved them. They're genuinely saved. Paul calls them saints, but they're really struggling to live the Christian life. They're struggling to live a distinctly holy life. Now, they've got some questions for Paul, and he's got some things to say to them. And so we have this letter, really, all the way through, he's calling them to be holy and to live out the reality of their salvation. And in chapter 4, Paul employs two metaphors. He says, first of all, the metaphor of a servant, and the second is the metaphor of a steward. So in verse 1, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, it's true. Paul is speaking most immediately about his own ministry. That's true. Maybe in your Bible, you've got that little subheading that says the ministry of apostles. It is true that Paul is speaking here primarily, most immediately about his own ministry. But what you need to understand is that Paul is doing it as a point of example. He's doing it as a point of example for the Corinthians. So all the way through, he uses this very inclusive language to try and draw the Corinthians in so that they would catch on to the fact that they're meant to copy Paul. He wants for them to be like him. And then if you look at verse 16 of this chapter, he says it very clearly, I urge you then be imitators of me. He wants them to imitate him. What specifically does he want them to imitate? First of all, he says, you need, need to imitate me as a servant of Christ. 
You need to adopt the posture of utmost humility. You need to live a life that says, this is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am now in bondage to the Lord Jesus Christ and in total submission to him. And then he says, and imitate me as a steward of the mystery of God. What does this mean? Well, the word steward originally in this context referred to somebody that would manage household affairs. So literally translated is house law, a steward, someone who manages someone's house on their behalf. It would be like me giving Austin the keys to my house and saying, okay, I want you to manage the affairs of my house. Here's the budget. Don't go over. I want some left. Come up with a meal plan. I want the kids to eat well. Cleaning's yours. Diapers are yours. I'm up for trying this at some point. We'll, we'll, we'll lead by example and live out biblical stewardship. <laughs> so it would be like me giving him that and entrusting it to him. He has some authority, but ultimately he reports to me. And Paul uses that picture and says, you need to be stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, what does that mean? If we look at the way in which Paul uses that phrase, mysteries of God, in other places in this letter, I think if we boil it down in its very simplest form, Paul is referring to the gospel. He's referring to God's plan of salvation. Previously hidden, not fully understood, now made crystal clear by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's plan of salvation in the gospel, you are now stewards of that gospel. And if you are like me, you read that, if you think about what that means to be a steward of the gospel, it seems a little bit strange. It seems a little bit abstract to be told that you're a steward of this message. The reason I think it's abstract is because we, we live at a time when we do very well talking about acknowledging the benefits and the blessings of being saved. And we don't do so well acknowledging, speaking of the responsibilities that come from being saved. If I was to ask you tonight, what does it mean to be in union with Christ? I think you would answer by telling me some of the benefits, which is a really good thing, but I don't imagine you would start by telling me what the responsibilities of being in union with Christ are. Now think about this. I was reading Mark chapter four just this week. Mark chapter four, Jesus is teaching in parables. He's teaching in parables. What's a parable? If you think it's an illustration to make something clear, then you're wrong. You need to read the text. Jesus says clearly, I'm teaching in parables so that seeing they wouldn't see, hearing they would not hear, perceiving they wouldn't understand, they would not turn and repent and be saved. So there is a real aspect to Jesus's ministry that was intended to harden the hearts of those in unbelief. Jesus came teaching in parables purposely to send some rushing towards eternal damnation. And by God's grace, that is not you. 
If you are here as a Christian tonight, by God's grace, he decided before the foundation of the world that you would have your eyes opened and your ears opened and you would understand and receive the gospel and turn and repent and be saved. It is no small miracle that the gospel makes sense to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, to those who are perishing, it is foolishness. Do you understand that there are millions outside of the church who look at the gospel and it doesn't make sense and they label it as utter folly. And God, in his grace, looked at you and said, not you. I've determined a time when your eyes would be opened and the gospel will make sense and you will receive it. And the moment that you step into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you step into a position of incredible privilege, but you also step into a position of incredible responsibility. And one of those responsibilities that we would do well to think upon is that we are now stewards of this gospel. And what does it mean to be a student of the gospel? I think at its absolute foundational level, it means that you are so treating this gospel in your own heart and in your own mind, you are so interacting with this gospel by which you have been saved, that it is to you treasure. The way in which you are interacting with the gospel is such that day by day, the gospel is to you a treasure above all treasures. Every single day you are renewing your heart to the gospel that has saved you. You will not allow yourself to become flippant or casual or bored or weary of the gospel. To be a steward of the gospel at its absolute foundational level, I think, means that you diligently pursue a greater understanding of this. Every day you're seeking to renew your affections towards the gospel so that it is always the highest treasure. There should be every fiber in your being crying out, I love the gospel. And yet we are so easily distracted. And there are so many treasures in our life so that the, the reality is we are just living our life on a whim and we are moving from one treasure to another. And it may well be that the gospel's in there somewhere. Maybe on a Sunday morning, the gospel is treasured in your heart. But I want to ask you, is the gospel treasured on a Wednesday lunchtime? Are you stewarding the gospel such that the gospel is treasured in your heart on a Saturday night? Because if you are not treasuring the gospel, stewarding this truth well, I guarantee you, you will not manage the everyday stewardship decisions in a way that honors the Lord. The gospel is the absolute, the necessary foundation for all issues of stewardship. And if your heart is indifferent to the gospel, then you will be a lousy steward. Friend, are you treasuring the gospel? Are you delighting to leaf through the pages of your Bible yet again and seeing these so familiar stories, but not being content to just gloss over them, but to meditate upon them and plead with the Lord that he would open your eyes afresh to the glories of the gospel? Are you treasuring the man, Christ Jesus, who came and taught a new teaching with authority? He came and he taught a new teaching 
with authority. And praise God that he did, because if he did not, you would not be saved. If all that he had was the same message as the scribes and the Pharisees, there would be no salvation. But he came, praise God, with a new teaching and taught it with authority. Do you treasure the gospel as you see time and time again, Jesus healing people? Or do you just gloss over them because you've heard it a hundred times? Think about it. Every time Jesus is interacting with these sick people and some of them come up to him boldly and they say, Jesus, my daughter is sick and you need to come to my house and heal her. And some of them come so meekly and they are so shy in a crowd of many. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And yet every single one of them is coming with some element of faith, a mustard seed of faith, acknowledging who he is. He's somebody different. Over and over again, in their heart, they're saying, you can, if you will, heal me. And he says over and over again, I will be healed. I will, grace of God, be healed, the power of God. It's the same grace and the same power that has come together to write the gospel of your salvation. If he came without that grace and said, I'm not going to do it, you would not be saved. You'd be dead in your sins this night. And he came without that power and said, I can't do it. You would be dead right now in your sins and you'd be going towards an eternity in hell. But by the grace and the power of God, he said, I will be healed and he saved you. And I'm asking if you treasure this gospel. Do you treasure the gospel as Jesus interacts with people demon-possessed? There's a man who is so fiercely possessed by demons the villagers say, we have chained this man many times and every time he breaks the chains. Think about this. This is metal chains and every time he breaks them. So fierce is the demon possession. Not only that, but they say he's constantly crying out loud and he's constantly cutting himself with stones. And with a word, Jesus gets rid of the demons and he is found in his right mind. This is the man that saved you. Are you treasuring the gospel? Think about every act of Jesus when he shows himself to be God. Here's a man who fed thousands with some bread and some fish. Don't just read over this. Think about the gospel. Think about the revelation of Jesus Christ as he turns up and he shows himself to be God. He fed thousands with some bread and fish. And the text says there's food left over. They're full. He's a man who walks on water. And when the disciples are terrified, he says, fear not, I am. Fear not because I am. I am Yahweh and I can affect salvation. Here is the only man that ever lived that can undo all that went wrong at the fall. Here is the only man that ever lived that can undo all of the wrongs. He can lift all evil, all sin, make all things right. He's the only one that can affect your salvation. Do you treasure the gospel as you read of the man Christ Jesus against whom the Jews plotted, their own Messiah? They handed him over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, who tried him and sentenced him to death. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Take a look at your bank account some evening. Where is most of your money going? What does that say about your priorities? How about how you spend your time? 
what or who really is important to your life. Are you investing in something you can't take with you? Or in someone who is awaiting you for eternity? If you'd like to learn how to use your time and life for eternity, come to our website, TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org, select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an abundance of gospel teaching from Pastor Paul Twist. This coming weekend, you're invited to Bethany Bible Church. If you don't have a home church, we would be honored if you join us for worship at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday, and the church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Hope you'll join us tomorrow for part two and the conclusion of our short series, Stewardship in the Light of the Gospel. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.